Welcome back to Brojo Online. Today I have a special guest for you, Peter Lewis. He's a leadership coach with 20 years of military service at his back. He's the kind of guy who likes to do Iron Man as a way of chilling out. A father and a husband who just posted his personal best Iron Man time nearing the age of 50. He's been working with leaders for a long time and he's got a lot to tell us about self-leadership, the act of taking ownership of your life, and the application of stoicism and other philosophies to ensuring you have a high quality of life and a high level of self-respect. So sit back and relax and let's learn a little bit from Peter Lewis. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Well, welcome to the show. This is just us talking on Zoom, I guess, but I like to call it the show. And uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, spending the time to share your wisdom, opinions, rants, whatever you like, really. And uh, let's let's kind of start, I guess, assuming some people listening have no idea who you are, and we'll just give them the kind of overview. Maybe start with telling us a bit about what you're doing currently, and uh, then we'll start from there and kind of wind back to find the full story. Yeah, certainly. I um, I think rant and and just streams of consciousness rather than wisdom although you know those that can see us perhaps on youtube know it's got gray hair in, in my 50th year so some people like to say that's the pricey paper wisdom but uh, uh yeah currently i am still i'm making the most of this opportunity i think uh you know we're still in pandemic here in the uk um partial lift off of the lockdown if that's the right term but i've seen this as a, as a massive opportunity so i'm doing a lot of coaching at the moment over zoom so hence you know the medium that we're talking now uh, and you know I've got my health which I'm very thankful for so get all those kind of primary needs sorted we've got our health the family's healthy I've taken this as a massive opportunity to to reset my business model and just go double down on coaching and in particular coaching through technology to reach more people so mate I'm on a really steep learning curve at the moment about all this use of tech and stuff like that which is I'm enjoying it awesome yeah, yeah, we were talking about that I think last time, right, when I was on your on your program and uh you can either resist or you can move with it and, and it's so good to hear that you're moving with it. You know, there's a as you say, you get a bit of snow on top and people think that means that you're not gonna be able to keep up with technology, but that's not true. It's just a new thing to learn. Um Well I think the I think I was always always ready to make that shift. I think fundamentally I'd always wanted to see if I could crack this nut of I don't mind trading my time for money and you know that's a, it's a, it's a kind of healthy thing but I was trading far too much time with travel at the expense of just my vibrancy and feeling healthy and, and actually I can serve more people or even just serve myself more with the fact that actually my time is far more efficiently used now and uh and, and I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it, really. I'm a bit of a geek at heart. I love technology, and I love getting my hands on stuff. But I think, you know, that what the, the wonderful thing is, there's no barrier to entry. So anyone listening to this are thinking, well, how can I use it? Just go and have a go. You know, just go go test and and find out. You know, you'll trip over yourself a little bit, but you learn so much in the in the process of doing that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are intimidated by it, but you just get started basically there's a youtube how-to video on everything right 
Um, well, tell us, a, tell us a bit about your coaching. Like, what kind of work are you doing with? Well, what kind of work are you doing and who are you doing it with? Yeah, so I, I didn't start off as a coach, shall we? I, I, I had a, a military career of 20 years, and perhaps we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But 12 years ago, I, I started out as just sort of a, a trainer, I get facilitator. And I'd get invitations to coach on the back of working with, with groups. Leadership has been my thing. I was an instructor at the military academy at Sandhurst, which is you know one of the sort of preeminent leadership kind of military schools, if you like. And, and I really enjoyed just studying leadership and things like that. So I kind of made a, a living doing doing that. And and so more lastly, I've I've ventured more into. I, I still hang my hat on leadership and helping leaders sort of develop themselves, but it's a far more about. How do we de- develop self-leadership now for me? So it's personal development and let's not, let's not worry about others until we've got our own shit sorted out. And, and that can be a, a lifetime pursuit in itself. So I, I guess my coaching is with leaders, but it's really about helping leaders become the best versions of themselves. And in doing so, they become better leaders. Yeah, I think, yeah. Kind of hit home with a with a big truth there, which is there are a lot of people out there trying to lead and they don't have their own house in order, psychologically speaking, which means they're leading yeah. from that kind of wounded, wounded, disordered place, perhaps. Um, well, I'm straight away. I'm curious. It sounds like there was almost a switch for you from focusing on leadership as a kind of concept to working on yourself through the lens of leadership. What is self-leadership to you? What does that kind of mean? I love that question um, because I think I've only really grappled with it in the last year or so because the the switch for me was actually, you know, butting up against my own obstacles and and suffering from depression and and how do I navigate my own way out of that and, you know, crikey, just be the just be the husband and the father I want to be, let alone the leader and role model I want to be. And so I kind of really went to work on myself, having had a kind of the last decade or so reading all the books on self-help you like and telling others what they should be doing or could be doing, but not swallowing that medicine myself. So I, I kind of really had to go back to, well, what is leading yourself all about? And, and I've I, I put it down to three things, and, and the words might not mean much to everyone else, but I, I, I talk about code, I talk about discipline, I talk about habits, and code for me is just a way of purpose and values and, and really fundamentally understanding what what kind of I want to get out of bed for in the morning and the kind of man I want to be, but then you've got to get on and put that into place, and that's the discipline, and I talk about you know, the standard that you walk by is a standard you accept. So what standard do I hold myself to? And to be that man I want to be and to live up to my code. And then a lot of the stuff that brings that into how is, is the habits you develop. And I talk about, well, just somebody across this term professional and amateur habits. You know, what professional habits have I got and what amateur habits let me down? And, and those three things, sort of code, discipline and habits. So really what I've really gone to work on myself with and and now I'm sort of leveraging that model with with my clients. It seems to resonate. I mean, it's, I want to try and keep it as simple as possible. But the thing is, I'm working through my own stuff. And I think I've become a better coach for it because I, I think there was a bit of an ego position of telling people, hey, look, these are books you should read. Go and do this. Do as I tell you. But actually, I, I had a whole ton of stuff to work on myself. So 
um, I, I had to go to work because I was suffering. I definitely want to dive into that more because I can't think of a position where it's harder to lead yourself than in depression, where you're like mm. at zero motivation, zero sort of self-love. Um, so I'm keen to hear a bit more about that. But I, I love that you kind of come up with a simple model. I've found, I mean, it was the same for myself as well. As I worked on myself, these kind of patterns or keywords or something started to emerge. And I just, the first one, particularly code, you know, I'd call it values, integrity. It doesn't matter really what you call it. But you design a little way of living where you're like, if I do that, I'll be good with myself. Like that's, mm -hmm. I can't tell anyone else what the right way to live is, but I found a way that I'm pretty sure is the one I should be doing, uh, yeah. which is obviously constantly adjusted. Let's, uh, let's, I want to go back to that. Um, cause I know a lot of my listeners and I've been through this myself, depression, whether it's clinically diagnosed or just an intuitive sense that I've got something, something's up here. I can't think of a harder position psychologically to be in than depression. How is it in, in such a unmotivating place you actually found the drive to go and do something about it? Yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting one. And, and I, I, I'm talking about it far more in the last year or so because that in and of itself is a way to, to deal with it. I haven't been clinically diagnosed. I just, over the last few years, had a sense of uh, sort of lack of joy and more emptiness was creeping into my life. And I had nothing to be empty or joyless about. You know, I've got two really healthy kids that I'm very proud of. They're turning into really you know, lovely adults. Um, I've been married for 20 years, rock solid. You know, I, I'm just it, fall in love every day with my wife. And so, and I've, and I've got everything going for me and yet something was missing. And it's like, well, damn it, what, what is going on here? And, and for a couple of years, I just sort of kissed it off and thought, no, just put yourself together, get on with yourself uh, or get, just get on with life. And, and it just wasn't working. Um, and a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it was that I've called it before that swallowing your own medicine. I, I, I was telling other people what they could be doing and how they could be doing. And when you're, when you're, it's always easy to solve somebody else's problem, Dan, isn't it? You can look at somebody else's life and you think, I know the answer to that. Why can't you do that? And I said, well, what's, why, why is it? I know all this stuff in an intellectual level, but I'm, I'm still stuck in this rut. And so I just went back to first principles, uh, started journaling, started meditating more. And meditation for me, by the way, is, is just observing my thoughts when I'm running rather than sort of sitting cross-legged. I, I find that really hard to sit still. Um, but I just went back to first principles and, and started working on myself with all the things that I had kind of forgotten and I had to remind myself about. Now, that's not necessarily a cure for, for depression, but for me, it's helped. It's helped keep me present and in the moment. And, and when I slip, it's because I've taken my eye off the routine ball. So that sort of structure has really helped me. But I, I would never, never profess to say I've got the answer. I just know what works for me. And it's, I continue to work on it and having supporting structures and just having people you can talk to kind of helps me in that regard. But I think it makes me a better husband. I think it makes me a better father and a coach because I've opened myself up to that vulnerability and honestly with myself rather than just trying to be this superhero that's done God knows how many Ironman races and achieved all this and had a 20 year 
successful military career, none of that would, was helping me be happy at all. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if it did, eh? It just doesn't work that yeah. way. Um, yeah, okay, so that's... I've got this theory that I want to run past you, and it's really subjective. I, I absolutely believe that such a thing that you might call biological depression. There's some sort of synaptic problem in the brain and the right chemicals don't get through and it doesn't matter what you're doing with your life. You, you know, you need medication. Yeah. But I suspect that that is a small minority of all depression cases diagnosed or otherwise. I've got a theory that depression is actually largely stems from that kind of as you say, the kind of hypocrisy that comes from knowing the right way to live, often preaching about it, but then simultaneously quite aware that you're not living by it yourself. Kind of, especially for high achievers, and this is where I think you and I resonate, we're getting a lot of points on the board in everybody else's opinion. And yet we can do that, we can be successful without actually meeting our own standards, which have almost nothing to do with those successes. Yeah. So I almost get a sense from you that that was happening. Like everybody's saying you're living a good life, but deep down you're going, yeah, but there's a lot of more important things that I'm kind of not doing consistently. Do you see that as being a causal factor in the depression or is it kind of unrelated or correlated? What do you think? There's certainly a strong, I resonate with that, a strong um, correlation with almost that sense of I, I, I'm doing this for others rather than actually what is it I'm doing for myself? And don't get me wrong, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed running and jumping and playing sport and doing all those active things as part of me. But so much of it was extrinsically based rather than intrinsically. I'll give you, I'll give you, I mean, so I've, I, I've been doing triathlon now for 10, 15 years or so. I've done 20 Ironman races and I've just, I, I like hurting myself wearing Lycra at the same time. There's something perverse about that. But, but, my happiest race my happiest race was my very last one before lockdown i went out to florida panama city did ironman florida and i decided before that race that i wanted to race with gratitude i wanted to thank as many of the marshals as i could um i i wanted to just be joyful about the fact that i could do this i'm able-bodied and able to do it and i can afford to go out there and i, and I raced with gratitude in my heart and I got a personal best. And yet all the other times when I was really tense and struggling to strive and beat people and beat myself and beat the clock, I came nowhere near what I did in Florida back in November. Um, and I went into that race as therapy for myself. I'd had a bit of a break from racing. And I thought, I want to connect with the joy and the pursuit of running as a meditation, cycling as a meditation. And and it worked, and it and it just brought it home to me that actually I I'd been chasing all these events and goals as a means of some kind of extrinsic goal, when actually it was yeah it's it's not it wasn't anything to do with that, and 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 perversely I I raced the best I'd ever raced. There's something in that, Dan. Obviously, <laughs> oh, it's definitely not the first time I've heard that kind of connection being made. I mean, even myself say. Well, just about every area of my life that rings true. You know, when I stopped pursuing women and started just focusing on being honest and connecting with people, I found my wife. And when I stopped like yeah. trying to get clients and make money and focused on just serving people, my business shot up. You know, uh, it's, 
it's so interesting that we think trying hard is the key to success, but I think that's like throwing a resistor in there. It actually makes it far more difficult because you're doing everything for the wrong reasons. But I think I think that you, you introduce tension into it. So if you are going at it and want to achieve whatever it is, you we go hard at it, but you introduce tension into the system, into your being, into your thoughts, or whatever it might be. Whereas, and I forget where I heard this recently on the podcast, but if you kind of performed at 85% instead of trying to the 100%, you go into it in a more relaxed state. And then that's where the magic happens. Now, but I do think we have to be careful about, you know, there's people in our sort of side of the industry and self-help that think, well, if you just think it and relax into it, it will happen, it will manifest. And there's, there's, there's still intention here. There's still action and there's still a process, but it's, how you go about that process and how you go about that intention rather than just sort of meditating on money falling out of the tree kind of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I like elements of that, but I don't like the fact that actually it's all about just, yeah, chill, dude, it'll, it'll all happen. No, no, it's, it'll happen because you're taking action, but you're taking it in a very different spirit and a very different energy level. There's such an important nuance there. You know, on one end of the spectrum, we might have, I don't know, I guess you call it the law of attraction end of the spectrum. Just think it, wish it, it comes. You know, you can almost see the self-help book being written. Uh, yeah. And then on the other side is that hustle grind approach, which is, yeah. you, you know, work yourself to the bone and to death and just beat the system through pure sheer force of will. It sounds like you're talking about something that's either in the middle or actually just completely off that spectrum altogether, I suspect. Uh, where the intention is there, but the intentions, I guess the reasons why you're doing it are strong enough to pull out the best effort, but it's different to trying hard to achieve an external reward. I guess it sounds to me like intrinsic intentions. It's like doing it, as you keep saying, you're doing it for you rather than for something that gets points on the board, you know, for others. But what are your thoughts? What is what what drove you? You talk about gratitude. What was the intention in that triathlon that gave you the the drive to actually go fucking hard out while you're doing it, but without that, yeah. as you call it, without that tension, without the restricting try hard hustle grind thing. Yeah. So um, so something that you know, I haven't talked about yet is that 2015, I was diagnosed with a heart condition. Uh, it turned out it was a congenital heart condition. I had very sort of lay terms, a, a short circuit um, in my heart. There's a bit of scar tissue that sometimes would, the electrical conductivity would bypass the internal pacemaker and potentially my heart rate could go to thousands of beats per minute. It could be you know, fatal. And I got diagnosed with that. And, um, I was told, that's it, your athletic days are over. No more running, no more cycling. In fact, this Ironman stuff, I was made to feel that I'd done it to myself. And I thought, I'm not necessarily happy with that. And then this, the, the depression had started before this, but then you can imagine what effect this has on your depression when you're told that you can't do something that's your very kind of core identity, being active. Uh, I got a second opinion and, and saw some sports cardiologists and they basically said, no, we we can fix this. And so cut a long story short, I had the operation in 2016, but it meant that I hadn't raced for two or three years. And then when I got the green light and they said, you can go back to normal, 
I clarified what normal meant. And normal to me was doing an Ironman, an extreme event. So they said, yeah, we know, go back to normal. So Ironman Florida in November represented the first time back post-operation. And I was simply grateful to be back and to have this second chance. Having had it temporarily taken away from me, it was like, well, I'm going to embrace this because I, I came so close to not having this. Then And I look back on the previous 15 years of racing, and I'd never been grateful for that. You know, it's a classic tale, Dan, isn't it? Somebody gets a wake-up call, they reassess their life, they realize, actually, I've been a bit of a schmuck, I should have. I, so it, it's, that, it's that tale, it's a sad tale, but it's, you know, you have to go through it. But then you go into it with fresh eyes, and you think, oh, wow, I need to cherish this, because I very nearly didn't have it. So that's, that's the reason for coming into it. Now, interestingly... That didn't solve my depression. My depression was something that was going on prior to the operation. It got exacerbated and worsened because of the, the fact I may have had that taken away from me. But here's the interesting thing. Just going back to Ironman and racing and full health didn't solve my depression, and I was hoping it would. But it didn't. So there's one component of it, but there are many different facets to it. Hence the okay, you know, self-leadership hence start journaling, all these things that I'd never done. And in, in sort of conjunction, they are helping. So it's not just one flick of switch and get back to doing it. Um, but that's, that's the story behind the gratitude, back to your point. That's, I, that's why I went into that race with that intention. Okay, well, that's interesting. That brings up some more stuff there because I think that, you know, call it depression, chronic anxiety, just not liking your life, all those different, everything under that umbrella. You know, a lot of people, I think they do see the aggravating factors as being the cause. You know, something happens, you feel even worse during the depression. You think, well, that must be what's doing it to me. I eliminate that and the problem goes away. It's like how people try to travel to get away from their problems. And they get to the other yeah. side and they're like, well, I've still got it. What the fuck? I don't remember yeah, thinking this. You know? Yeah. Um, because it's so much deeper than this. Um, which I think is now we really need to get into this self-leadership concept i guess i'm just really curious when you start meditating start journaling what started coming up for you well it's interesting i i, I tried journaling in the past and I, I don't know it's either because i've got really shit handwriting or anything i just could not the process of writing stuff down just really wasn't working for me but i'd heard enough people talking about it's worth doing. And I thought, well, I need to start listening to that. Um, you know, I thought if it's good enough for Marcus Aurelius, Roman emperor back in 160 AD, then there might be something in this. So I'm a big fan of studying so ancient philosophies and things like that. So, I thought, okay, might do it. And then what started coming up, um, <laughs> nothing profound from the actual reflection or just brain dumping into an app or onto a, you know, a, a, a notebook. But what started coming up was I started looking forward to that as part of my day. And what came up was I developed this, this sacred routine in the morning of getting up and having a routine that involved exercise and my favorite breakfast and whatever. It, it created this space to think. So I wouldn't say anything profound came up in the journaling, but journaling as a routine amongst other things has created, and this is where lockdown and the opportunity and pandemic has really played into this. I'm, I get up at six and I, I don't do anything for anyone else until nine o'clock. I don't check my inbox or anything else like this. 
every morning now, I get three hours to myself. The kids aren't awake. They're teenagers. They won't be awake until about one in the afternoon. You know, my <laughs> wife, she goes to work. But what came up was this space to reflect and just to let my mind wander and have time for me. So nothing came up in the journal, particularly. But what came up was this habit, this routine, which has, a, has given me space to reflect. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's no, but that, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, the way I sort of framework, I do all these core values, and one of the main six core values that I work with is respect. Respect is means a lot of different things, but journaling is one of the activities that comes under the respect umbrella. And it's interesting what you say. Just the act of journaling itself doesn't really matter what's written down or what's come out, but the fact that you've made that time for yourself, the fact that you are listening to you, it's like, well, if somebody else was to listen to you talk about yourself very intently and care a lot about what you had to say, you'd feel respected. So if you're doing that to you, and and this is why I, I journal every day as well, it's kind of like sometimes I write something, it doesn't matter. I wrote it the other day on my journal, like some one line where I wrote, I'm looking at social media too much. That was it. I, I didn't ask myself to do anything with that information. It's just like mm. I'm chatting with a friend and telling them my woes, and it doesn't matter if I change them or not. But if you think of something like depression and depression being caused by a kind of hypocrisy, a drift away from doing what you know to be right, to then book a big time of self-respect out every day and to prioritize it, to do it first, sends a very powerful message inwards. Mm. If depression is self-loathing, then respect is the opposite of that. So I can absolutely yeah. see that being a kind of medicine for depression. Yeah, and, and also what helped is is telling my family, so two kids and my wife, that actually... I'm, I'm, I am deliberately going to work on myself. I am going to interview, because, you know, I shared with them, I talk about my depression and everything else like this. And I said, you know, something's got to happen here. I don't want to medicate. If I can get myself out of this, I want to get myself out of it, but I need your support. And it was my wife that said, well, why don't you try journaling? Why don't you just sit down and, and hang out? And it was almost like she'd given me the green light to be selfish, to have that time. So, if they happen to be up early in the morning and see me do that, they give me space. They don't come and interrupt me. And I journal in the evening as well. I do an evening reflection of just, okay, so how did my day come out? Um, and I go off, you know, half nine, that's my wind down, go to bed at 10 sort of routine. Uh, but they give me space for that as well. And previously when I tried, I hadn't shared with my family why I'm doing certain things. So therefore they couldn't support me with it. Now they support me and their support is give dad his space. Dad's, dad's doing his, his evening reflections. And that has been a really, that's a really interesting or important distinction. Previously, I hadn't elicited the support in my closest network to help me work through my shit. Um, now they do. And the support is the space. So they respect that as well, which just compounds and helps work through it. Well, that's a, you know, I think a lot of people are scared to ask for that. And, mm. They kind of might rightly be so, because if a lot of people have been living way off track for a long time, they're probably surrounded by people who are going to be discouraging and unsupportive. Uh, so it's quite, I think it's quite a good sign for you to, I mean, I would have probably felt quite vulnerable to ask for that and then to actually have them 
you know, back you up. It's a sign like, yeah. actually, I'm, I've got the right people in place here. This is, you know, yeah, it's great gratitude as well. I did the same thing with my with my wife when I told her that I wanted to meditate in the morning. She comes up the stairs and sees me silently sitting on my office chair. She backs away, you know. She's quite happy to do that because it's such an easy way to support me, and that's what she wants to do. So, but here's the, the hesitation previously, Dan was. I was worried, even with my, my closest life partner and my kids, I was worried about what they might think of dad. Has he gone a bit, woo, what's going on here? And, but then my coach said to me, he said, why, why do you think they couldn't handle you telling them that you need space to meditate? I mean, why, why is your ego so big that you, you hold stuff back from that you think they can't handle? I mean, get a grip of yourself. So yeah, having a coach to wake you up to your own bullshit is, is useful as well. But, but yeah, just, just letting them know this is what I'm doing. This is important to me. And of course, if it's important to you, yes, they're going to support you. And, uh, so there's this interesting piece around even with your closest people opening up and being courageous enough to say, I need this in my life. And it's, I mean, my former self would have seen that as a sign of weakness. Actually, it's a sign of courage, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're projecting that that kind of self-judgment onto them, like they're going to see you the same way you would see it. Um, yeah. But they're yeah. actually far more kind of liberal about that particular concept than you are yourself. But that, that shows as well, for you to ask for it and then do it means you've changed the judgment about it, doesn't it? You've made it okay for yourself to do, which is, again, more self-acceptance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the key. I know you sort of say, like, you can't speak for everyone. You just know it works for you. but there are so few people who find something that works for that sensation of depression that it's really important to share, even if only other few other people can just experiment with it or try it out. I really want to hear a bit more about the self-leadership thing. And again, it obviously seems to be something that you kind of credit as being a rescuing force in your life. So we've got journaling, we've got meditating. You know, what are some of the other factors that come to mind for you around the you know, what self-leadership is and the kind of more important facets of it. Well, let's see where this one goes. I mean, the first thing that pops into my head around that, you know, so I talked about code, discipline and, and habits. That discipline or the acceptance or operating out of delayed gratification, i.e. what accepting that actually that the investment you make now is not going to pay off necessarily immediately but you have to delay the gratification or you have to do the hard yards now for an easier tomorrow and and that's a, that's something that was really drummed home to me in the military it was really okay now you do what's hard now because when the shit really hits the fan we used to have this phrase you know train hard but fight easy you know and 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 the idea was what whatever you do on exercise and in peacetime you prepare yourself for the worst, so therefore you have the, the resilience to deal with that. And I guess I've taken that through in life, and that actually a, you know, a softer way of talking is, is delay the gratification. Is actually continue to invest in yourself, knowing that actually you're on, on the right path. And I think perhaps where people lose their way is is that they flip it. They want to do the easy thing now, and then it becomes harder later. And so I think perhaps my depression or the state I got myself in. Perhaps on reflection, I'd taken too many shortcuts. I'd tried too many hacks. I'd tried to, well, do you know what? I, I know this on an intellectual level, but it's for others to do that because I've got myself sorted out. So my ego was coming into play there. But actually, when you think about it, a lot of it is, no, 
this is hard stuff. If you want to change, you've got to work on it and it's going to be hard and you're not going to see the results tomorrow or the next week. But in doing so and journaling on it, you know you're on the right path has helped me. So I, that, that's the first thing that kind of popped up in my head around actually one of the real core components. The, the second one is really having a, a standard to live by. And I, I, I spoke earlier on about this sort of mantra of the standard that you walk past is the standard you accept. Is that, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. So how do you keep yourself to account? You can only keep yourself to account if you have a sense of the person that you want to be. Now, the delta between where you are now and where you want to be may be really quite wide, but, but therein lies the joy of the process of trying to close that gap. And again, I think this is born from my, my sort of indoctrination, my, you know, my, my 20 year military career and the standards and that it really instilled in, have, I've carried through, and I don't. I don't think you have to be a military person to to carry those standards. But I think it, they are so large in my life that actually I knew them when I was way off beam. I, I because I had such a, a strong sense of what my code and discipline should be when I was way out of whack for that. It was really stark and obvious to me. But from the outside, people were like, "Oh, I didn't know you suffered from depression." I did. I thought you're always so upbeat. You're always. Yeah, because on the, on the face of it, you can school it. Anyone can play an act. But deep down, I knew that delta had got wider and wider. Yeah, there's, I can see we both have a very shared love of stoicism coming through quite strongly. And a lot of the principles kind of, you know, I, I found the principles, then I found stoicism. I'm like, oh, this has already been figured out. And there's heaps more, you know, like, this is great. This is like some ancient truth I've stumbled across. Um, well, it, it's interesting. You say, sorry, Dan. It's interesting you say that. I mean, I I was living through those things, and then I discover through great people like Ryan Holiday, who really brought stoicism back into mainstream consciousness. It's like, oh my God, that that, that explains everything that I've been schooled in or or believe, and now I've got a language around it. And it's like, oh wow, some dude back in you know, 100 AD had all this sort of sorted out already. And I guess that's why I find it so attractive because it enables me to make sense of all the things I wasn't able to codify or, or put a language around. Yeah, I mean, it's great validation, isn't it? You're like, I'm not crazy. Somebody else thought that this works too, and they were very sure of it, and there, they have thousands of people who are doing the same thing, and it seems to be working. Uh, and I absolutely believe that. I believe there's a, a kind of universal objective truth to a way of living that's a far higher quality of life than others, and vice versa. There's a way of living like taking the easy way out. And the path of least yeah. resistance that it's guaranteed to make you miserable. Um, mm. I love that train hard, fight easy. Uh, I haven't heard it put in those terms before, but like one of the key principles I say about confidence is choose discomfort. So you just choose the, the tougher route because it makes you a stronger person later, which makes everything easier as opposed to taking the easy route, which makes you fragile in the longer run. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that was. That one hit home a lot for me. I think, I think it's important that we talk about what that actually means in real life because a lot of people like to hear those terms and then they don't see it. Just like, you know, we talked about again that sort of, that concept of hypocrisy coming up, holding yourself to the standard you hold others to. It's amazing how many people will be outraged if you deceive them with a lie and then that very same day they'll lie to somebody. You're like, well, mm. dude, which is it? You know, which one do you really believe in? Because if you're outraged about the behavior, why are you doing it? Um, yeah. But let's start with the discipline. 
go specific. Let's let's look at you know the work, the clients that you have. Of course, don't have to name anyone, but what's some examples that pop up for you readily around that sort of train easy, fight hard? I guess the opposite. People taking the easy way out and paying for it later. The um, I, I think the obvious one that comes up in with sort of leaders in particular is they're so focused on an objective that needs to be achieved this quarter, this month, or whatever it might be, and they apply sort of logic, rational thinking, and sort of management type of thing to get in that objective solved and and they might have some success but ongoing they don't see the correlation between those results plummeting or going on a downward spiral and their part in that uh, there's this almost this denial of well I'm in this leadership position um it, it must be their fault there must be some external factors at play that means our our performance is, is on a, this this decline and and the first bit of work work is 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 the first question I ask people is that how is what you see in terms of what you're measuring all your fault? And often that's, you know, you, you, they're dumbfounded. What, what do you mean this is my fault? They say, well, given the position the company's in, whatever it might be, how is that all your fault? And we have to start from that premise because I say what you see in metrics terms or performance terms is a direct, direct reflection of how you're leading this company, whatever it might be. So that's where I kind of go to... Um, uh, on that and that's where we go into the listen we'll get to the metrics later on we'll get to the kind of the, the extrinsic stuff but we need to work on some shit first and and from a collective it might be the culture and the values of, of the organization or it's your purpose it's your values and a lot of leaders kick and scream at wanting to go back to those first principles but increasingly unless you're prepared to go there i'm not the coach for you because I've done all these, tried to sort of the quick fix coaching, let's deal with the symptoms stuff, but I've seen the trend far too often. Unless we address cause, you're wasting your time, money, and you're wasting my time as well. Um, and and you know what? Once upon a time, I would have traded. I've said, yeah, I'll coach you with that. If you're not prepared to go there, fine. If you're going to keep paying me. But increasingly, that was unfulfilling for me as a coach as well. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it shows up with, the, the leaders that get it are the ones that accept that actually they are the major part of the problem. And I had to accept that I was a major part of my own problem. And I think that that ego-less position is perhaps where you really need to start and let go of that. Yeah, it sounds like what Jocko Willink calls, uh, what does he call it? extreme responsibility? Something like that? Yeah, um, yeah. It's extreme ownership, isn't it? Extreme ownership. Uh, you know, and, and that's exactly what he said. Like if something, I think he talked about one of his platoon dying. Yeah. And he said, I, before I even know what happened, I know it's my fault. And it's not really that self-blame for me, I'm a loser. It's more like yeah. if I'm the leader, then I'm responsible for everything I'm seeing. This isn't some, there's nowhere else to look but inside. Uh, and that's, that takes balls to do that. That's a lot of people, I think, would find that too bitter a pill to swallow. And of course, they're the ones who are ultimately destined to not be a powerful leader, I guess, which is what you're saying, isn't it? Essentially, that's almost a test of leadership, a qualifier. Yeah, yeah, and I've not followed Jocko's work that much, but I'm aware of it. But but it comes back, it it links to stoicism, it links to Stephen Covey's first habit of be proactive. It's that you can only control what you do. So unless you take 100% responsibility of that, you're accepting that there's an X percent 
outside of your control and it will always be at the behest or the blame of others. And that's a completely disempowering position to be in. Now, it may not directly be your fault, but you play a huge part of responsibility. And if you take 100% for that, that puts you 100% in control of what you do next. And that ultimately is linked to fulfillment, happiness, joy, and everything else like that. It's feeling that we've got choice. Now, we might not like the choices in front of us, but at least we have choice. I mean, when you take choice away from people, well, what are you left with? You're just left with, you know, just, you, you're just bobbing around to the surface, just pushed around by other people's energy or, or, or circumstances. I can't think of anything more dispiriting or disempowering or, or I can't think of a faster route to being unhappy. <laughs> yeah, I, I personally believe responsibility is that first doorway that opens up the rest of this kind of better way of living, that total responsibility. Because, yeah, the outside of the realm of responsibility is a very powerless place. And the thing is, you don't need to go out there. You take care of, as you talked about from the start, you take care of getting your own house in order. Everything else will map out eventually, but it takes a while. You know, it takes a while for the sort of the world to get out of your way to some extent. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, I think that's huge. You know, I, that idea of like, what if this is totally my fault? But from the premise, not like I'm a bad person, but I'm doing it wrong. I'm not looking at it right. I'm not behaving right. I mean, I saw this so often, like in so many areas of my life. Particularly, say, I used to struggle with dating and romance or that area. I was like, why do I have all the worst women or why does nobody like me or whatever it is? And I'm looking out all the time going, where's that valuable partner for me? Instead of going, well, am I a valuable partner? Yeah. You know, like, would I recommend me to others? I think somebody asked me this great question, like, would you want your daughter to date someone like you? And as soon as I heard that, I'm just like, oh, I got some work to do. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that cuts, I, I can't cuts make that. I am not a five star yeah. review right now. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, well, how can I blame anyone for not wanting to be with me if I don't even want to be with me? Yeah. And I agree with them. And I had to figure out, well, yeah. why don't I want to? And it's the same, like, if, if your team is going down the toilet. I used to work as a manager and I worked in a team of managers. So I'm witnessing them with their teams. Not once did I see a poor performing team with a great leader. Not once. No. No. But many times I saw a great performing team get a new leader and go down the toilet. And the only thing that changed was they got, well, I call it like getting a manager instead of a leader. They got someone who's mm. all about the numbers and looking good with a closed office door and no connection with the team. The team could yeah. be high performers, stars, and the numbers yeah. would start to come down. And yet that kind of manager always says it's the team's fault. Yeah, it's it's incredible, isn't it? It's just this reluctance to to to, to look at that or accept that. Um and it, you know, it's 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 clouded by somebody's ego or, or perhaps there's just the, the level of self awareness is it may not be a deliberate thing, but the example and here's the thing, the example that they've seen as to what leadership is has now just been paid for to them. And so what I say to the people I work with is that just be back to self-leadership, be the best version of a leader that you can. And in doing so, you will model the right behavior and people will pick up on that. And then they will carry that to when they become leaders. So the primary role of a leader is to, to, as far as I'm concerned, is to develop leaders rather than followers. 
and you do that just by being the best version that you can be. It's like kids modeling, you know, their parents. You know, they'll, they'll play back the language, they'll play back the mannerisms and the actions and the beliefs and values. And we don't realize how influential we are with our own behavior. And I guess there's how influential are we on ourselves as well? You know, how do we, do we kind of self-fulfill some of these poor scripts that we're, that we're running? And it's interesting that that term script is something I've only started using recently, but my coach, who was also a hypnotherapist, he said in hypnotherapy, we talk about these scripts that people are running and writing a new script. I'd never really thought about that, but I thought, God, I'm running some really poor scripts here. Um, and, and, that, and, and actually just imagining a piece of paper with a script and, and tearing it up is, is a first way of just, I guess, abstracting yourself from what you're, you're immersed in and thinking, do you know what? Actually, to your point, you know, would I want to date me? No, I wouldn't. Would, would I believe this script if it was written down on a piece of paper? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Now let's, let's start the work. And back to that, you know, when you start, if, unless you can get somebody to see the script they're running or the, the script of you are responsible or write a more positive one, then, you know, you, you're not going to get anywhere. I think deep down people know this in some sort of intuitive level, but there's the price to pay for responsibility, which is, I guess, effort is the word. That kind of uphill before you get the coast, the training hard bit. People kind of know, I think, it's some sort of subconscious level. If I take responsibility for everything, the end conclusion is I'm going to have to train hard now. And they've got like an aversion to that. They're like, nah, come on. There's, sure, there's a quick fix out there. I'm seeing so much marketing and promotion about quick fixes. They must exist. At least one of them must be real. And I think that's what you and I both took from stoicism is, no, that's an illusion. It's never, there is none. Just give up on that search. It's the holy grail. Just let it go and come down to the basics that has been proven over and over again, which is you've got to put in the work up front. You've got to do the uncomfortable, unpleasant thing up front for the actual internal rewards that no one can take away from you. Two things you can't hack, Dan, I think. You can't hack health. You've, you've got to eat well, exercise well, sleep well, all these things that we we're talking about. You can't, there's no hack for that. And yet there's a billion dollar diet industry and, and you know, swallow this pill thing. You can't hack wisdom either. And, you know, you've, you've just got to be in it. You've got to be a student. You've got to learn. You've got to talk. You've got to experience things. But everyone wants to hack those two things. Everyone wants to know what the secret of creating, you know, a million followers on Instagram or whatever it might be or passive income. And everyone wants to hack the fact that, you know, how do we, you know, it's a secret to what's the elixir of life and living forever. Trouble is, but you've just got to get, you've got to take the responsibility. You can't sell, you can't hack either of those two things. And yet we've got billion dollar industries trying to convince us that we can. And now that is twisted. Oh, the, the relationship space is a billion dollar industry for the same reason as well. Yeah. Um, you know what I think blows my mind? You and I, I don't mean, you sound like you've always been someone who's been able to push themselves quite hard. I, on the other hand, there's no military career in my background. I was lazy, very much so. I spent a lot of time on the couch, stoned, watching movies. Um, what I didn't realize, because you can't have it explained to you, you have to experience it, is that taking the easy way out isn't actually more enjoyable. I always thought it kind of was. 
because it's comfortable physically, at least for a brief period of time. You and I have both come to the conclusion there's actually the intrinsic reward in doing the training part. The part that's hard is hard but not unpleasant, in my opinion. Like, Mm. if I'm in the middle of a workout, I actually enjoy that moment in time. Whereas a lot of people seem to think that that moment's unpleasant. Or if I'm in the middle of eating a healthy meal, I'm not like, oh, this sucks. As long as it doesn't taste like crap sort of thing. Or I'm in the middle of a deep and intimate conversation to build a relationship. I'm like, I don't need to be anywhere else. This process is actually quite enjoyable. Was that the case for you? Do you find that? I, yeah, increasingly find out that the joy is in the process. You know, I'm never more relaxed than when I'm out running or working out. Um, I, I I don't feel, I, I feel amazing after eating well and I feel full on a salad kind of thing. But these things are counterintuitive. Hang on, how can you be relaxed? How can you have more energy after a workout than you had before it? That's, yeah, but until you experience that, if, you're, if your reference point is... You, if you've never experienced that, you never know what life can can feel like. And a lot of people are, I think, are just living, accepting of their current situation is well, that's all I'm that is possible for me. Um, and then when they hear other people talking like we're doing, perhaps that well, yeah, that, that there'll be some kind of resentment because at some level they know it's true, but the, it feels like it's too hard to get going. It's um, yeah, but for me, it's the process. The, the well, increasingly before we talked about. You know, it was about an event. It was about a finish line. It was about getting a personal best. Now it's, I'm increasingly, how do I connect with just the joy of that activity, the joy of a conversation, the joy of running? You know, I don't run with any tech anymore. I've ditched the headphones, the watch, the heart rate monitor, the Strava, nothing. Um, I just want to connect now. Uh, I still want to compete. But increasingly, I want to connect with the process and the struggle and the journey. Because I back to my routine and everything else, that that presence and gratitude for that is is what is helping me. And I, I don't think we would have had this conversation several years ago. I I, I would have thought, well, what are you talking about? It, it's all about the prize. It's all about the, the the medal or whatever it might be. But there's there's always that next medal. There's always that next finish line. And and actually, the amount of times I've cycled thousands of miles in my life, but I don't think I've witnessed that many miles of scenery. It's been mm-hmm. head down. It's been staring at my handlebars. You know, in my military career, when we used to go off our forced marches, I used to sometimes say to people, it'd be great to come and walk here one day and, and enjoy this because, <laughs> at the, but actually all I had to do was lift my head up and notice, you know, smell the roses or whatever expression you want to use. I think I, I think I smell the roses far more now. Now, is that because I'm hitting 50 this year and, and, and men of a certain time of their life become introspective? Possibly. But, but, but equally creating the space to be able to have that and to your point, respecting myself for wanting to do that is, is part of the process of healing, I think. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like talking to guys like yourself because you're kind of pioneering. The reason you're having that realization now is because you had to fight the way through the bush to get there. There are people now in their 20s listening, and it's important that they hear, like, you don't actually have to wait that long if you don't want to. No. You can make that shift. Now, it was one of the things I had to get my head around is I could make all the same mistakes and take as long as everybody else takes to figure it out, 
or I could find people who have proven uh, themselves to me and trust and admire them and kind of almost take it on faith and try their way out rather than waiting until I'm forced to by crisis. You know, and I found that that's been really powerful for me is like, why wait when I know these people aren't talking shit? Why not just trust them instead of trusting the quick fix people who are almost clearly full of shit? Um, yeah. But that's that's a really fascinating one. The, the trick to enjoying the process is first you have to have the intention to enjoy the process. If you're going in with the intention to win and get the final reward at the end, it's going to be very hard to force feed yourself an enjoyment of the process. And that's what it really sounded like. I think, the, yeah. Yeah, I think so, Dan. And, and But I'd like to add also, you know, if the, if, if the 20-year-old version of myself was listening to this right now, I would also urge him to accept that bumps in the road and trials and tribulations are part of that. And, you know, as you know, one of our mutually admired authors, Ryan Holiday in Stoicism, yeah, the obstacle is the way. Actually, if you go in with the intention, okay, I'm going to hit some bumps in the road, this, but therein lies the opportunity. I think my 20-year-old self, if it saw the disappointments and the detours and everything as part of that process, I think then that 20-year-old self can make the most of it without having to wait till they're 50 to realize actually it was always there in front of me. So it's it's less about, okay, how can I speak to people and and not experience those things? Because I think the experience of it makes you more resilient and more reflective and everything else like that. So yeah, there's that balance between finding out all the things I can avoid and avoiding them because you don't necessarily have then the, the, the rich experience of having to have gone through that. I think there's a balance to be struck there though. Otherwise, we're we're back on that end of the spectrum of, Hustle at one end, grinding, and you know, thinking it's all a bed of roses, and it and it will be. I think there is a dose of reality in there, but I think your point of realizing that you can do something, you don't have to wait to do something about it, would be a message to my former self. I would definitely want to send back. Yeah, it's almost like the the mystery to decode. How can you enjoy failing at something? Because if you can yeah. figure that out, then you're going to be an unstoppable beast, you know, oh, and, and you're just wow. going to be winning yeah. internally and externally the entire way. And you can see this in certain, like, uh, say, certain fighters. They enjoy fighting whether they get knocked out or whether they pin the guy. It's it's the same level of enjoyment for them. And they're the ones who excel because they're not afraid to get hit in the face. The ones who are like, I have to win and have an unbeaten record are the ones who are always going to be tentative and anxious and find it very hard to enjoy um so yeah i, I find that I, i've been trying to do that lately i was learning how to do handstands and it's just proving to be very very difficult for me it's just a i don't know a center of gravity thing or a confidence problem or something <laughs> so i've gotten to the point where it's so hard for me that actually doing some sort of Cirque du Soleil level handstand is just not it's just off my mind now i'm just trying to see if I can get over this little bump or that little fear or try this new grip or it's the process and I'm losing every time on paper. Yeah. But I don't yeah. feel like I am, you know, and there's something in that. There's a kind of like a code yeah. there. That's funny. You say talking about like your 20 year old self, I think back and I thought 20 year old me wouldn't have listened, unfortunately. So well, that, I don't know yeah, if this could is... have happened any quicker than it did. To yeah. be fair. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, I, hopefully, that's what I love about the kind of work I do. Sometimes I work with younger guys 
and they're better at listening than I was and mm. they're more open-minded and curious than I was and they're less attached to scripts than I was and it's exciting for me I'm like oh you're gonna have a way better 20s than I did you know <laughs> you don't have to wait as long as I did this is you're gonna have be able to rack up a lot a lot more enjoyable experiences than I did well I think they're exposed to more I mean go back to use of technology there's you know, no barrier to entry there's no barrier to knowledge there's no barrier to experience whereas when I was 20, you'd have to go and sign the book out the library or whatever. And it was far more deliberate and intentional. But if you didn't have that intention, you never exposed these ideas. My son is 15 now. He now knows more about, you know, leveraging financial markets and capital through to, um, you know, politics, through to business and entrepreneurialism. When we talk about these things, I'm thinking, wow, you've got this down pat at 15. I didn't know what a mortgage was until I was 33. You know, and he and you're talking about going to university and renting out rooms to your fellow students to make some passive income. Wow, that just blows my mind. You know, it's um, so. Yeah, I, I do think there's that, that. So there's an even greater opportunity for them. It's funny. I, I was reflecting on some of the the themes of your podcast uh, before I came on air with you, and it was. Yeah, I think one of the sort of the primary questions was you know, the struggles you've had or what you'd say to your former self and. I think if I, I did 20 years of leadership in, in the military and I was, I got to pretty senior rank. Um, but I've studied more about human psychology and more about relationships and more about leadership since leaving the service than I ever did when I was in. I was thinking, I wonder what my career would have been like had I taken this much interest when I was actually in it. Then, and, and I think that speaks to your point about you don't, don't wait till you get to a certain point in your life. Start being a student of self now. I think would be a sort of parting message is that study yourself because it's going to take your entire lifetime to do so. And you still won't have the answer at the end of it, but that links to that. It's the process of doing it. What's the alternative? You'll always be subject to somebody else's plan ultimately, unless you become a student of self. Well, bang on. I mean, I think that's the greatest tragedy for me. Look out in the world and watch people living somebody else's script and so loyally. Yes such such faithfulness you know it's somebody doing a life they hate and then trying to get others to do it and he's like dude yeah. I, I feel like i'm in some sort of like multi-level marketing scam or something like why are you selling <laughs> me this it doesn't even work for you it doesn't work right? for you oh, oh, yeah. it actually uh i mean i think i noticed that from a young age but you know the first time i noticed it was at a school and you've got a teacher telling you what you should be doing with your career and they clearly hate being a teacher i'm like mm. why am i listening to you 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 fucked it up clearly it's <laughs> like you hate kids so why are you here and you're telling me yeah. i should listen to you about the right way to live and i think i noticed that from there on out where a lot of people it, it guess it's that incongruence a lot of people have been telling me how i should live my life and i see them doing it to each other all the time and yet none of them seem to have even figured it out just for themselves let alone something that's generally applicable to others. So I'm like, why are you trying to drag people down into the mud? Don't shouldn't you try to get out of the mud first? You know, but uh, yeah. unfortunately, I think there's a high correlation. The worse your life is, the more likely you are to try and instruct others on how to live theirs. You know, I find it's yeah, funny yeah. the people have really figured shit out for themselves are the most humble. They're like, oh, this is just what works for me. You do you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like that. The, the people that feel imposter syndrome the most are the ones that are the most qualified. It's, it's because they realize they've learned a ton, but they also realize there's a whole ton yet to be learned. Whereas if you don't expose yourself to ideas or the responsibility of you think you've got it all nailed and therefore, you know, you don't, you don't feel imposter syndrome. And, that, and that's, that's interesting. I think the opposite of imposter syndrome is, is a Dunning-Kruger effect or whatever, a little mm. bit of knowledge and you think you've got everything, you know, nothing more, nothing more, a greater example than current pandemic and all the sort of social media experts on what, you know, virus, what biology and all that kind of stuff is that, no, 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 you're basing that on some post you've seen. Stop it. You know? so. Yeah, it's, I, I love that. You know, you just ask them, hey, what's the difference between a virus and a bacteria? Um, yeah, I'm like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> You're not a scientist. Shush. <laughs> yeah. I'm not either, but both of us should shush. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. both incredibly yeah. stupid about this. You know, it's, and again, I can hear your philosophy coming through. I mean, that's really Socrates, isn't it? I know I'm the wisest because I know I know nothing. It's very yeah. hard, I think, for a leader to go, you know what? I don't actually know anything, really. Mm. But actually, that's what the best leaders do. You know, I think I saw something about uh, Richard Branson. He was just saying, you know, I want to be the dumbest person in the room in my board meetings. You know, I thought that's, yeah. yeah, it's quite an incredible thing to say. This idea like you're not there to shine and be the best. You're there so the best can shine and they're going to be better than you. Let them be better than you. Hope that they're better well, than that's you. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess the then, the, then the second part of that is if you find yourself you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm. So consciously and intentionally go and surround yourself with smarter people. Because not only will they level up, but equally your job as a leader is to enable them. You know, why hire smart people and tell them what to do? And yet we still see that a lot. A lot, a lot, yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, a lot of people think of confidence, especially in terms of leadership, as knowing the answer, but I always think of confidence as having the balls to say, I don't know, in front of a large audience. That's far more confident than pretending you know. But, of course, as you said, that Dunning-Kruger thing, some people really do think they know, they're not pretending, but they're just wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and I was the same, I mean, I was Dunning-Kruger about myself. You know, I thought I knew exactly who I was and what I was doing with my life and couldn't have been further than the truth. There are people who barely met me who understood me better than I understood myself, really. So, but it's a hard thing to face, isn't it? Very hard thing to face. Excellent. Well, I mean, we could just go on and on, but I think we'll slowly wrap it up here and, and save the rest for another conversation. Um, but obviously, you know, as, as you've, as you've, uh, said, you are a coach who helps leaders in particular. If somebody of such ilk is listening at the moment, uh, what should they do next? How do they get in contact with you or further explore your work? Well, a number of ways. Um, website is peterlewiscoaching.com. And just, just drop me a line on that. Um, and also, um, you, you've been a, a guest on it as well. I have my own podcast podcast is called give yourself the chat which really it's, it's everything that we've been talking about that idea of self-leadership uh, resilience mindset and all the things that you know dan and we're passionate about so i would say that the, the website and uh, and if guys want to check out uh, the uh, the podcast that'd be awesome excellent well, i'll definitely drop some links into the show notes and they can find it there and uh 
yeah, you and I, have, we've had a couple of conversations now and I can fully endorse. I, I really, uh, really on board with your perspective and I uh, have no doubt if someone's working with you around leadership, they're going to be given the right guidance. I'm absolutely sure of that. So, yeah, go for Great it. Times. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the show and taking the time and sharing openly with us. I really appreciate that. And um, I have no doubt we'll be back on the show in due course. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cheers.